Stand up with me, John chapter 12. All right. All right, the Bible says in verse 1, six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. You remember that Christmas Eve. Not that he was raised on Christmas Eve, but we talked about that on Christmas Eve. So they gave a dinner for him there, that is for Jesus. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with them at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard or spike nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Other gospel accounts say that she poured it over his head, and so she just lavished this oil on him. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold? You can hear just like this total sinister, nasty little attitude that seemed to be pragmatic and logical, because other disciples got caught up in it. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it, man. Jesus said, leave her alone. Don't you love it? When he just sticks up for his people and shuts it down. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you. Our hearts are just, they're filled with gratitude. Thank you, God, that we don't come today just because we're religious, ritualistic people that are checking off boxes. We have been transformed. We've been touched by your love, and you've turned our lives upside down. God, you've turned our lives inside out. We have a new center. We are worship has completely changed. And that's why we're here today. God, some of us may not even know that. Some of us may not even know that, but today is gonna be a day of revelation. We want all that you have for us, and we want to give everything to you because you're worthy and you're deserving, and we don't wanna have some half-hearted, mediocre relationship with you, God. We want to be a hundred percenters. We want to be all in. And so, God, you've been moving this morning in mighty ways. Continue to move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Well, what, what does a man do to make people so radical? What does a man do to make people so radical? I'm not, I'm not just talking about any man or any person. Obviously, I'm talking about Jesus because this is the impact that he had on people's lives. Jesus' disciples, they were radical. They were radical. Now, listen, you know, um, the, the truth is this. Like, from our vantage point, we look back and we say they were radical. I don't necessarily think that they thought that they were radical in the moment. I, thought they, I, I think they thought that their radical in the moment was just normal. It was just normal. But, you know, in some ways, I think that we've kind of drifted from how radical discipleship should be. You know, they changed how they lived. They changed what they lived for. They changed how they treated other people. The whole concept of sacrifice was totally different for them. 
And of course, you know, we have examples that we can think of among the disciples themselves. We think of Peter and James and John and Andrew, of course, you know, they had a family business, two separate family businesses, but, but there was a, a legacy business that had been passed off to them. And when Jesus came on the scene and invited them to follow him, you know, because you know the Bible, they, they forsook that business. They forsook, quote unquote, that family legacy. They, they forsook their, their means of employment. They forsook maybe a, a, a business that they were gonna hand off to their kids. I think about Matthew, the tax collector. And you know, when he was touched by Jesus, sitting at his tax collecting table in Capernaum, you know, where tax collectors made the most money, when he was invited to come, he, he stood up and he left his exploitative ways. And he followed the Lord. He was all in. I think about uh, little Zacchaeus. You remember the wee little man, little dude? He had such a hard time seeing over the crowds that just to get the uh, eye, sh eye shot, the visibility of Jesus, he had to climb up a tree. And you, you know, Jesus was, you guys know the song. I'm not going to sing it right now, but, but I'm sure it's all in your mind. You know, Jesus is walking by. And he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree tonight. I'm going to hang at your house. And, and so in that moment at his house as he's, um, hosting a party for Jesus. He's so touched. He's like, man, I'm giving all of this to the poor. And then if I've ripped anybody off by a factor of four, I'm going to replace what I've stolen from people. We look back at the disciples and we see such radical examples of discipleship um, and, and worship, but I, 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 I still see it today. I see it today. Like in this church, I see it. For instance, a couple sells their dream home on the farm that they love, they load up their RV, they travel across country to work at a church in Las Vegas. Um, or another family in our church, they put their career on pause and they go into the mission field for a year. Um, or I talk to another family that says, hey, you know, this, this Christmas we decided as a family we're not gonna give gifts to each other, um, we're gonna hang out with each other, we're gonna love each other because that's what families do. But we're going to take those resources and we're just going to bless people who are in need. And so all I'm saying is that that, that that radical way of living for the Lord's not just a thing of the past, it's a thing for the present. And your Christianity was not intended by God to be moderate. Amen. Right? Like your engagement when I teach. Is not intended to be moderate. Your, your, your Christianity was intended to be radical, right? Not temperate, not adequate, not mild. Like, I think too many people have come down with a mild case of Christianity. Like, you got some of the symptoms, man. You got some of the symptoms, and I think some people, when they're looking at your life, you, you know, they might, they, might, they might possibly think, well, they might be a Christian, they, I see some of the signs, but you know, you haven't stepped into full-blown Christianity. I just want to say today, radical Christianity means radical worship, and radical worship is powerful. Can you say amen to that today? I hate to, I hate to prime, the prump, prime the pump like that, but radical Christianity means radical worship, and radical worship is powerful. Now, some of you, you know, you grew up in a home where it's like, well, you know what, everything in moderation, and, and so you've got this argument that you're having in your mind because you're too respectful to say it out loud, but you're thinking, man, everything in moderation, 
pastor, everything in moderation. I say, well, okay, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, you're eating in moderation, you're drinking in moderation, your hobbies in moderation, but not your Jesus, not your Jesus. He was not meant for you to be moderate about him. You say, well, why is that the case? I say, because you're a worshiper. Like if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you're not following a principle or a creed. You know, you're following a person and you worship him. And worship isn't just something that you do, it's who you are. You're a worshiper. I want you to say it today, okay? I want you to say, I, <laughs> I sound like such a bully right now, right? Um, I'd like you to say, would you please say, uh, I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ. All right, that wasn't, that wasn't bad. It was better than the first shot that the first service got. I, I'll tell you that right now. Um, look, I think some of you are thinking, you know, maybe, maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that. And, and you know what? I want to live that radical life. But I'm looking at my life right now, and the fact is there's a little bit of conviction. Like, the ends don't meet. The circle's not complete. You know that, you, you know that within your own life, you're really not living full-blown Christianity. And so for you to say that, it might be hard for you to say. You know, you might feel a little guilty about saying that. But, but what I would like you to do today is I would like you to say it again, even if you're not there. Like, even if you're not in the spot. Look, you might be on the other end of the, the paradigm as a Christian in this. And, and you know, there's a, just a strong sense of conviction today. But I want you, I would like you to, would you please speak those words in a, in a prophetic way over your life this year. Like you know, I, this is not confusing to you today, all right? And I know you're not, taken, you're not taken aback. You're not shocked that I'm saying this. Like you know what it's supposed to look like. You know you're not there. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to keep you feeling so guilty and so miserable and so upset about all that you're not, that you will never fully live out all that God wants you to be. Are you with me today? And so what, what I would like for you to do, what I'm going to ask you to do, would you please say today, I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ, but I want you to, to say it, to declare it. And by the way, who cares what people think next to you? Amen. I know. Some of you are like so sophisticated. You're thinking, well, pastor... You know, I'm too sophisticated to do that, really. All right, he wasn't too sophisticated to go, to go to the cross. And so I'm sure, I'm sure you're not too sophisticated to say this. So I want you to say it in a way where it's like, man, it fully means all that God intended it to mean, all right? And what you're going to say is, I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Ready? One, two, three. So what, what is a worshiper? A worshiper is someone who values and treasures Jesus above all things and makes it their singular goal to express that in every aspect of their life. That's what a worshiper is. Right, a worshiper's discovered something. A worshiper has discovered that Jesus has infinite worth, infinite value. Like you looked at things in the world and you, and you used to think, well, that's valuable and that's that's. You know, that's worthy or worthwhile. And then you met Jesus, and he changed everything. 
Because in him you saw the one, the singular one, who has infinite worth and value. And so your life now is caught up. Your life is caught up in treasuring him and valuing him above all other things in your life. And then not only that, but you as a worshiper make it your singular goal to express that in every facet and in every aspect of your life. You know, because... Because, you know, sometimes in church, we'll talk about this a little bit next week. Sometimes in church lingo, we dig ruts for ourselves. And the ruts aren't always wrong, but they don't always tell the whole picture. And so when I say worship, a lot of us just drop into that singular aspect of worship, which is singing, you know. Well, yeah, we just had worship. You know, worship was so good, and it is good, and we have great worship leaders, and I thank God for how we're faithfully led consistently in worship. But you know that worship is so much more than that. Someone who really is a worshiper has really taken their whole life, and, and they see every, everything that they do, right? Every decision that they make, their family, their wife, their husband, their children, their singleness, their education, the workplace, the friends in the workplace, the hobbies, the money, the resources, the ambitions and, di- and desires and dreams, like everything holistically now, because this is the thought process, oh, how can I worship you in that, right? How can I worship you in that? Lord, how can I express to you how much I value you? How can I declare through that one thing, it might be a small thing, but it's not a small thing to God if your heart's in it, How can I declare your infinite value and your infinite worth? And of course, the Bible in a good way is littered with a whole bunch of people who live like that. I think about Abraham. You remember the story. And of course, Abraham was a worshiper and there's so many different times and ways that he worshiped. The one that sticks out to me is Genesis 22, where the Bible says that God instructed him, hey, Abe, take your son, your only son, whom you love to the mountain that I will show you and offer him as a burnt offering to me. And you remember the story. I mean, it was a difficult journey. It was challenging for him to even conceptually understand what it was that God was doing, but he was a man of faith and he acted in faith. I think about Moses and you remember the story of Moses, 40 years of solitude, learning, learning who God was and learning to walk with God to the extent that when the moment came and the bush was on fire, but it, but it didn't burn away. What did Moses do? Well, Moses was wise enough at that point in time not to just cruise past the revelation of God. A lot of us cruise past the revelation of God. Like we're just busy. We've got a lot going on. Our agenda is full. We have our plan. And we've not learned to take time to set it aside, to carve out time and, and turn aside to see what it is That God is revealing, well, Moses, he did that. And you remember, the angel of the Lord was present in the bush, and he was revealing himself to Moses. And he said, hey, hey, Mo, take your sandals off, because the place where you stand is holy ground. It's holy ground. It's sacred. It's consecrated, because the presence of God is there. I think about David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, right? 
the sweet psalmist of Israel and the multitude of psalms that he penned. I made it in November and December, my goal to study the life of David. And so I read through all the psalms that he wrote multiple times, and then I read the chronology of his life in First and Second Samuel, and then some you know, books and things like that. But the thing with David was this, all of those psalms came out of what God was doing in his life. It was an outpouring. It was an outpouring of worship. It was this constant expression of the value of God. And I fast forward now some, some 1,000 years from the point of David writing Psalms to this story of Mary, and here she is. One of my favorite stories in the scripture. Somebody said to me the other day, hey, pastor, you know what you always say it's your favorite story. And so <laughs> when you say that now, I don't even necessarily believe you anymore. And it's true, okay? But but this story, this expression of worship this is, is amazing, and this is kind of the picture as you, as you do read the story and as you check out the other gospel accounts, there Mary is in the house of Simon, who was formerly a leper, and this is just days before, the chronology of it's a little difficult, but this is just days before the passion and the crucifixion of Christ. And, and there she is, and it's a wild scene because not only do you have all, all of the disciples um, and you have people like Simon who were radically healed, but there also is Lazarus, and Lazarus was Mary's brother. She loved him, and she just days earlier had been so broken because he died, and he had been buried in the tomb for four days, and Jesus showed up late I mean, late from Mary's perspective, never late from his. He may, he may seem like he's late to you, but he is always on time. Hey, he's always on time. He, he, shows, up, he shows up when he's ready, okay? And, um, you know, Mary's like, hey, where were you? If you were here, he wouldn't have died. You know the whole story. And what does he do? He stands before the tomb, has the stone rolled away, calls out the name of Lazarus, and that man is raised from the dead. He's raised from the dead. And so Mary's like, you, you get it. You get, like, the pathos of this. There she is in this room, and everyone's centered around him. The dinner's for him. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And she does something that sh it shook everybody. She goes and she takes this alabaster flask. We, we, we don't know. Most likely this was not her house, even though Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. You don't need these details, but I can't help myself. Some people think Simon the leper, because that's where the party was being held, was the father of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So like, we have no idea. I'm saying all of that to say that if it wasn't her house, then she brought this alabaster flask that was filled with this oil and she does something that, that shook everybody up. In the middle of dinner, she takes the seal on this flask and she pulls it open. Like, I'm sure people were like, what is, what is she doing? And what is she doing with this flask? And why is she interrupting the order of the dinner tonight? You know how some of us are. And she took that flask and she, she poured it out over his head. I mean, his head was dripping with oil. And then she took the flask and she poured the oil on his feet. And then she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And um, the oil was everywhere and the fragrance was everywhere as there was this extraordinary expression of humble, extravagant worship. You know, it was a, 
years worth of wages that she poured over the head and feet of Jesus. Some people say, well, maybe it was a family heirloom, and that's a possibility. Others say, well, no, it was, it was probably her dowry, because that's the way it worked back in those days. Others say, well, no, it really was more like her 401k program, <laughs> right? This was her savings. This was what she had set aside for, you know, making sure she was taken care of. But here she is, and the, the, there's only one word that can describe this. It's worship. It's worship. And what was she thinking? And I'm, I'm certain, obviously, Judas was, Judas was one who was like, well, what was she thinking? And then, and then the other disciples were caught up because, you know, when you worship Jesus, Jesus extravagantly, there will always be critics. There will always be critics. And the disciples got caught up in that too. Like, what was she thinking? And, and I think Mary was, wasn't thinking, what can I do? I think Mary was thinking, what can't I do? What can I do? Like everything, and by that, I don't mean to be confusing, I'm just saying, by that, by that she, was, she was thinking, it's all his, and I'm in the presence of the one who has infinite value and worth, like, in other words, none of these things mean anything anymore to me. None of these things mean anymore to me, and if I'm being stirred in my heart to pour it out as an offering over him, I'm more than happy to do it, because compared to him, the oil is nothing. I want you to think about a couple of things that drove Mary to this point today, and I, I do believe that this expression of worship is something that could transform and change our own lives. Number one, if you're taking notes, Mary's worship was driven by love. Mary's worship was driven by love. For some of you old people who've watched Back to the Future, you know that, that Huey Lewis and the News sang a song, and it was called The Power of Love, right? And, and that's true. Love is the most powerful force on the planet. And I just want to qualify it a little bit more because it need, needs a little more qualifying. Because if I just left you with that, you think, well, then let's just all love each other. And then that will be powerful. So let me just say, let me qualify that by saying God's love. God's love is the most powerful force on the planet. The love of God. About, about 60 years after this event, John would write in his first epistle, we love because he first loved us. We love, New King James Version, we love him because he first loved us. The love of God transforms lives. What happened to bring Mary to this point was that she discovered she was loved by God. She discovered that she mattered. She mattered to God. You know, on my iPhone, there's a, a function that's great. It's called Find My Location. <laughs> yeah, and I need it because sometimes I forget where I'm at. No, that's not, that's not the thing. <laughs> the thing is this, you know, you can add people to that that you love and care about. So, you know, our family shares that. Everyone knows where I'm at, and I know where everyone's at, and I know where Hannah's at, and Alex's at, and I especially need to know where Levi's at. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great kid. <laughs> Um, Rachel knows where I'm at. Um, it, it's awesome. It's, it's handy. And you know, you can bring that up and there's this little blip, right? And if you hit the now, it's like, oh, you can trace that little blip and, and follow it. Um, but you know what? That little blip is more than just a blip. It's somebody that you love and it's somebody that you care about. 
And I, I just want to say to you today, you are not just a blip on God's screen. You are not just a blip on God's screen. You are not a meaningless little dot on a map to him. He, he knows, he does know where you're at. But he knows more than that. He knows you. This is connected to what Nikki was saying today. He knows you. He loves you. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future before they ever happened. Like before the world was ever made, the Father, who is, who is infinitely wise and who knows all things, saw you. He knew your name. He knew your personality. He knew your quirks, church. He knew your quirks. He knew the successes of your life, and he knew also the bitter failures. He knew all those things. And I want to tell you today that he loves you. This was, this was what was happening in the room. Like in the room, they threw this dinner for Jesus. And what do you have? Well, you've got Simon the leper, and you've got Lazarus, and you have Peter, and, and you have Matthew. And they all have their story, right? This extraordinary story of what it was that Christ had done in their lives. And they were gathered together to honor him. They were gathered together to love him. They had a dinner for him. And I just have to say, as I was studying this story again, I was like, man, that's what, that's what our Sunday services are. Right? <laughs> Aren't they? Like, I, I think about that. I think, man, you've got a group of people that are gathered together, and, you know, they're just centered around the Lord. They're not centered around their own agenda, their own business, their own plan. They're not even necessarily centered around their own stuff, their own needs, their own desires. They've gathered there for him. They've gathered there to honor him. And they all have this personal thing, you know, about what he has done in their lives. Their lives have been transformed by love. You know, Peter was like, man, you know what? I didn't realize it. I didn't know. He called me to follow, and it wasn't until I was in the boat, and, and he said, hey, let's go out a little bit. And I'm like, hey, Lord, you know what? You don't know nothing about fishing. I do. You know, you stick to teaching and preaching. I'll do the fishing. But, you know, I'm smarter than that. So I said, okay, cool. You know, I'll, I'll head out, even though we, we fished all night and caught nothing. And then he said, hey, cast the net on this side, and I did. And I pulled in a load of fish like I've never seen before in my life. And I was so caught up in the reality that I was in the presence of Almighty God. This is how the story goes. Read it for yourself. I fell down at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. Peter's story. Now, I think about Simon the leper story. He's like, yeah, well, that's, that's pretty cool. But, you know, I used to be a leper and not a leopard, but I used to be. You're like, well, that would have been a miracle, right? <laughs> I used to be a leper and, and I was marginalized, I was marginalized by my family members and my friends, and no one wanted to be around me, and no one wanted to visit me. And I'd walk down the road, and, and I would ring a bell and cry out leper, and people would pop on over to the other side. They avoided me at all costs. I was marginalized. I was insulated from people. My body parts were falling apart because they were stricken by leprosy, and then he spoke the word over my life. And I didn't need a nip, I didn't need a tuck, I didn't need a plump, I didn't need an injection. He just made it all good. Like, he made it all good. And, and, and you know, you're going around the circle, and Lazarus is like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool, but check this out. Check this out. I was in the tomb. 
I was in the tomb. I didn't just have one foot in. It was my whole body. I wasn't like mostly dead. I was dead, dead. I was dead. And I wasn't just dead for a day. By the way, you may not know this, but according to Jewish superstition, it was on the end of the third day that they thought the spirit left the physical body. And so Jesus waited specifically for four days to pass because he wanted everyone to know that Lazarus was really dead, right? And so he's like, man, I was decaying. Like my sister said, when I was still dead, there's probably a stench that's going to come if, I, if the stones roll back. But he spoke the word and he raised me up. You know, I'm just saying to you guys, that's what Sunday morning is. Sunday morning is all of us gathering together and saying, well, you know, and we're not in competition. This is not about who has the bigger testimony, okay? Because that's just nonsense, right? That doesn't bring glory and honor to God. That's self-worship. We take joy in everything that God has done. But we come together. We gather together. He is at the center. He's the one we worship. We've come for him. And we all have a story about what he has done in our lives. That's our Sunday morning. And so, and so, I, I would say to you today, come for him. Come for him. Come for him. I know that you come with your financial struggles. I know that you come with your frustrations that you need to be unburdened from. I know that you come with pain. And you know it's good to come with those things and to give them to him. But first and foremost, before you come to get, come to give. Come to give. Some of you come with apathy. Some of you come with disinterest. Some of you come just simply as a routine. And it's like, you know, you leave and you go to lunch with your family and someone says, well, what did you get? And you're like, from what? Like, I, what really happened? You don't even necessarily remember. And I'm, I'm encouraging us. Make your church experience radical by coming to worship Jesus. Coming for him coming to give to him, to treasure and honor him and declare to him that he is the highest thing that you value. We, we, we do that. Every aspect, y'all, every aspect of what we do is about that. When we sing, it is a visible, tangible, audible outpouring of our worship and love for God. That's what it is. Hey, it's more than just, well, I like that melody, and I like it when this person sings it, and why'd you do that song, and that really bothers me, and, and you know, they weren't really on key, and it's like, what? what? What are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? Let us handle that stuff, all right? You just, you come and give. Come and give. Pour your heart out in song to God. It takes, because you can sit and you can take in. But man, when you start singing, it is an expression of all that he has done in your life. My, my view on this, music was created by God primarily as a vehicle to carry our love and worship to the heart of the Father. I think that the reason he made music was to give us a vehicle to carry our love and worship to the heart of the Father. I think about giving, right? When we give, when we give. And, and you know, sometimes it's like, well, you know, you don't want to talk about that because that's, because that's uncomfortable. I don't care about that, all right? We, we, when we give to God of our resources, what we're saying is everything is yours, God. 
I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that to you today. I'm not afraid to say that to you today. When we have a time of giving and we're encouraged to bring our offering to God, what we do as the people of God when that happens is we're, we're saying, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. Everything belongs to you. And I do think that, honestly, sometimes the hardest thing for us to consecrate to God are our resources because it represents it represents sometimes the deepest level of trust, right? When we, when we look at our resources and we think, well, you know what? I need this for that and I need, I need that for this and, and I want to be wise and I want to be well taken care of and I want to have things in order. And then the Spirit of God, as he speaks to your heart, is like, hey, no, this, they open your hand up, right? Open your hand up because this is how we should live. We should live like this, not grasping with white knuckles, and when the Spirit of God calls us to open our hand and give, that's the moment where we say, you know what, God, you are, what is this anyway? What is this anyway? You have infinite worth and value, and so I'm going to give, and I'm going to express my trust in you. You know, during our worship service, we really had more time before COVID dedicated to the opportunity for us to give. And then COVID hit, and you guys know it was like, well, you can't pass a bag out, and you can't pass a Bible out, and you can't pass a prayer card out. And I'm just saying that I'll tell you what's passed. COVID is passed, all right? COVID is passed. COVID is passed. And so next week, I'll be saying, hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand if you don't have our app because, you know, we'll bring you a Bible. Yeah, and, and if, you, if you need prayer, you know, we have prayer cards. And you can fill those prayer cards out. And then during the worship service, we're going to take time again because I just, the worship leaders, the senior leaders, I feel this way. I feel like our time of giving has become a speed bump. You know, they do a great job at articulating what it's about, but it's like, man, we're just rolling over it. And I, I, I look back to what happened in this room with Mary and I think, man, it's so much more valuable than that. I think also when we open the scriptures... What we're saying is this, God, you are worth searching for. You are worth discovering. God, I'm never going to get to the bottom of you. I'm never going to arrive at the place where I have all sufficient knowledge. God, you, are, you have infinite treasures of wisdom and beauty, and so I'm going I'm to keep on digging. I'm going to open the book. And even if I've read the story a hundred times, I'm going to believe that there's something else that you want to reveal about yourself to me. Like, like, say you're out at Red Rock and you're walking along and all of a sudden there's this treasure box and you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. And so you pop it open and on the first layer, there's diamonds and sapphires and emeralds and rubies and gold coins. Like, you're not just going to say, all right, I'll just scoop off the top and I'll take that and I'll be good. No, you're like, you're digging down deep. You're like, hey, if the top is this good, right? If the top is this good, what's down at the bottom? And that's, that's what we do when we're in the word of God, right? John Piper said this. He said, if you, if you rake, you get leaves. If you dig, you get diamonds. And that's... <laughs> I know, it's a good one, it's a good one. I, I say all of this to say this, you can't zoom into that. You can't zoom into that. O online is great, 
And we thank God for the opportunity to have online for those who are in need. But if you're able, you need to be present. Like back in the day 2,000 years ago, what if they had iPhones? And what if some of the disciples, you know, missed the dinner? And they're like, dang, man, I'm not going to be there. And I got this other thing. And, you know, I really didn't want to go anyway. And, but I'll check it out on my phone. And, you know, and there they are. They're watching, right? They're watching this whole thing roll out. And the oil is poured over. They're, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, dang, I missed it. I missed it. And then when they see the people that are there, the people are saying, dude, man, the fragrance of the oil filled the room. I wish you were there to have experienced it. You know, there's a, a condition called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Do you know what that is? It's a social media condition, and people look at what other people are doing, and they, they're all fearful that they're missing out on the good stuff other people are doing. I want, when you're not here, I want you to have FOMO. <laughs> when you're not present, when you're not present, I want you to think, man, I wish I was there. I can't wait to get back. Worship is recession-proof, it's COVID-proof, it's circumstance-proof. It doesn't matter what happens around you because worship flows from what is inside of you. Mary's worship was rebellion against the world system. Mary's worship was rebellion against the world system. Hey, do you want to be a, a, a rebel? Well, be radical in your worship. When you worship radically, you tell the world system to go trailblazing. You tell the world system to go kick rocks because the world system says, hey, it's all about your stuff. It's all about materialism. It's about what you possess. It's about what's in your hand or what's in your account or what's on your property. And if you live like that, your possessions will possess you. If you live like that, your possessions will possess you. You're not a rebel. If you're living according to the world system, you're its slave. Let me read it again. <laughs> you're not a rebel if you're living according to the world system, you're its slave. Jesus said this, you don't want to take my word for it, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So listen, worship, when you do worship, when we're in a place where it's like, God, infinite value to Christ, nothing I have has really any value. I'm not worshiping it. My life's not circling around it or orbiting around it, it's all yours. All of a sudden, that worship that you give to God has chain-breaking power. It has chain-breaking power. All of a sudden, when you choose to worship Christ like that, you're no longer addicted, you're no longer enslaved, you're no longer bound up, you're no longer tied down, you're no longer caught up by the things of this world. You are set free. There is power when you worship him extravagantly. I was talking to a friend yesterday. We went to Bible college together, and he's a pastor. Uh, and he said to me, man, there's a couple in our church, and they did the craziest thing. It's so awesome. They said, pastor, we want to retire. Our retirement's coming up. But we want to retire into the mission field because for our retirement, we want to change a nation. <laughs> I know. I'm like, how cool is that? Like that is that mindset, right? Because a lot of times it's like, oh man, uh, you make your plan and then you ask God to, to bless the plan. It's like, well, you know what? God, I want to do this. I got my golf clubs. I got my RV. I'm all set. I got my place. And oh, by the way, by the way, would you bless it? 
And then, and then you talk to me, and it's like, oh, pastor, God's got this great plan for us, <laughs> right? I mean, God's amazing. We're going we're gonna to witness here and witness there. And, and you know what? I'm not saying that that, I'm not saying I know what God's plan for you is, but do you know what God's plan for you is? Have you asked? Have you asked him? You're like, man, I just got a set of golf clubs for Christmas, man. Why are you, why are you harsh in my mellow? <clears throat> That's for you hippies. I'm just saying, we had better, we, if we're going to be worshipers, we, we better let the Father make the plan. We better let the Father make the plan. And you know he's good, you guys. You don't have to be afraid of it. Like, he will give you the desire of your hearts as long as your desires are rooted in him. When you worship like this, Satan hates it. He hates it. This was why Lucifer rose up against God to begin with. He was envious of how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were worshipped, and so he sought to undermine that by leading a third of the angels against God. And Judas was the embodiment of that. Judas was the voice of Satan, and he was arguing and dividing and slandering and calling into question. And his pure pragmatism sounded like wisdom. It sounded like like knowledge, like logic, like the right thing to do. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, what is she thinking? We could have helped the poor. And that seed of doubt came from the devil himself. And it was rooted in greed. The voice that cautions you to moderate your worship is not the voice of God. The voice that calls you to moderate your worship is not the voice of God. I think finally Mary's worship shook the church up. It shook the I could sit here and say, and it was part of my message until I deleted it. I could sit here and say, hey, you know, this kind of worship catches the world's attention. But I don't know, I don't know if the, the world, I don't know if that's the most important thing right now. I don't know if that's the most important thing because there's a lot of Christians that aren't paying attention. Right? I read this story, and you know, this single story, this single act of worship that was done 2,000 years ago has touched lives over the course of time and is still touching lives today. And, and I just want to say, you never know how God might use your expression of love and worship that you faithfully follow him in. She lived with reckless abandonment. She lived with reckless abandonment. And we, when we read her story, man, we're reminded, I'm reminded, God, I want to live like that. I want to live like that. I didn't say to you, I want to live that. I said, I want to live like that, because that was her that. I know that made no sense at all. <laughs> that was her that. That was her expression of worship. And Jesus said it. When the argument started, he said to the disciples, he's like, hey, leave her alone. She has done what she could. Different, different account. In other words, that was her expression. Stop focusing on that and be faithful to your own. You know, days later, he'd be on the Temple Mount, and a widow would drop her mite into the treasury, and a mite super small, almost no value at all, smaller than a penny, insignificant. And Jesus said, did you see what she just did? What she did in that, she gave more than everyone else before her because she, came, she gave out of her need. She gave out of her need. I'm saying to you today that our expressions of worship are relative. They're relative to us. For Mary, it was, a, it was a year's worth of wages. For that woman with a mite, it was just a mite, but because it was from the heart. Like, I, I, I'm, 
want to encourage us to change the way that we think. When, when it comes to our relationship with God, oftentimes we're thinking more for me instead of thinking more for him. And, and if you think first and foremost more for him, and I'm not talking about your money, I'm talking about everything. You come into this place and you're like, more for him. I came to give. I came to give. I came to express. I came to shower. Like when you start with that, he handles everything that you need, church. He handles it. When you and I choose to seek his face before his hand, that's when we really experience the power of God in our lives. I see that kind of zeal in new Christians, you know, because it's all fresh, it's all new, they're just set free, they're just discovering, you know, and they're excited about what God has done. They're like, man, we need to go to this country, and we need to go to that country, and we need to give everything that we have. And you old Christians are like, precious little thing. You just, you're so cute. You and your zeal, you know, you'll learn one day. You'll learn one day as you get older in the Lord, you know, to be a little wiser. And I think, man, if that's what growing old in the Lord looks like, I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with that. In fact, it should be the opposite. It should be the opposite. Like the older Christian should say, man, you think that's something, just wait. Because the more he reveals, the more you relinquish yourself, the more you worship. The Bible teaches us that you will become like the thing you worship. If you worship money, you'll be greedy. If you worship your image, you'll be self-centered. If you worship God, you will become more like him. I'm closing today, all right? That's why you're clapping. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're like, about time, all right? About time. Wrap it up, Pastor. Bring, bring the plane in for a landing. <laughs> Let me just say, once you meet Jesus, there's no going back. There's no, when Cortez came to the new land, he knew his soldiers when, when it got difficult, when it got hard, when there was adversity, when there was struggle and trial and challenge, he knew his soldiers were going to be like, dude, let's get back on the boats and go back to our place of comfort, our place of safety. Man, the place where we're in control. And so Cortez did the crazy thing. He's like, we're burning the boats. We're burning the boats. In other words, there is no back. There is no going back. No, you have started an altogether new thing. You're on an amazing adventure. There's nothing more adventurous than a life with Christ. And there is no going back for you and for me. There's no one more worthy than our God. Mary wasn't thinking, what can I do? She was thinking, man, what can't I do? Because he is worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.